Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors today. And uh, today's going to look and feel a little bit different. And uh, what I mean by that is today is all about vision. We are casting vision. And so for the message, we're really going to have two parts. Part A is going to be from our lead pastor, Josh Jones. And then part B is going to be from me, specifically, what is the vision for Bridgewater Church here in Conklin? And so I'm excited about it. And uh, we want to paint a picture of what could be fueled by God's word and a passion that should be. And so let's take a moment and hear from our lead pastor, Josh Jones. Temporary. So many things in life are temporary. Trends come and go. Fads are here today and gone tomorrow. For example, I can hardly keep up with the terminology and phrases my kids and their friends use. About the moment I begin to catch on and use the word, it's no longer trendy or popular. And to avoid embarrassing my children and the rest of our young people, I won't give any examples today. But the truth is we're used to things that come and go. Words, expressions, celebrities, politicians, businesses rise in popularity for a time, then fade away. And while we're sad to see some of these things and people go, we rejoice that others have gone away. And while it's a hard truth to acknowledge, churches come and go too. Once they were full and thriving, now their buildings are dark, dusty, and empty. It is a sad but all too true reality. And throughout its existence, Bridgewater Church has gone through its own highs and lows, at times thriving and at other times on the brink of collapse. But God has seen fit to use this church for over 200 years. What began in 1808 continues today. There's still an anticipation of what God is going to do among us. We still assume God is already at work in the lives of the people who attend our services. And while we do not know what's in store for our church or what the future holds, we do know what we ought to be doing. That's because the instructions Jesus left for his followers have not expired. They still apply today. I believe Bridgewater is a place where people believe that. And that is why God is still allowing us to play a part in changing people's lives. You see, for followers of Jesus, the commands of Jesus don't come and go with the passing of time, and neither should our obedience to them. Jesus said he would build his church, and we believe time hasn't dampened his zeal for his church, and we are so grateful for how God is using Bridgewater Church. We continue to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This has been happening because followers of Jesus have been obeying his commands. What I mean is that you, the people of Bridgewater Church, caught the vision of what could happen if you truly believed and obeyed Jesus' commands, that you could reach your friends, co-workers, neighbors, and schools with the good news of Jesus Christ. You haven't relied on the pastors or church staff to do it. We have certainly tried to do our part, but that alone doesn't change a community. It takes more than the people on stage or on a staff. It takes everyone who is a part of this church to believe that the same work God did in their lives, he wants to do in the lives of the people they know and that he wants to use them to bring it about. I believe that's why we've been able to celebrate 44 people accepting Jesus as their savior and 42 going public with their faith through baptism so far in 2022. But I wanna urge you to stick with it. We each need to personally commit to do our part 
and not allow the mission Jesus gave us to take a role of lessening importance in our lives. If we're going to remain committed to what Jesus gave us to do, we must remember why we exist as followers of Jesus and as a church. So I want to take you to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, to see what our purpose, our our why is, as Jesus not only reveals why his followers should be making disciples of Jesus, but also tells them how to go about it. Luke chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. In this passage, Jesus is sending out a group of his followers, 72 in all. He commissioned them to go to all the places he was about to go. He wanted them to engage with people and prepare them to meet Jesus. They were to go do the work of telling people about Jesus, and Jesus would do his part and complete the work they began. But in all that's happening in this passage, this truth is perfectly clear, and this is our purpose. This is our why. God wants to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't send people out for no reason. He was going to change people's lives. He had come to seek and save the lost. He had brought salvation to the world, and he was going to use people to deliver it. Jesus gave his followers instructions, and they followed them. In faith, they believed, and as a result, obeyed. This is how the message of Jesus has spread from generation to generation. Followers of Jesus have, for years, been doing what Jesus told his followers to do. So, if we do what they did, the work will continue. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because somebody did what the people did who were there to hear Jesus give these instructions. And this begs some questions. What did they do? What do we need to do? What is our role in his mission? What are we to do? First, we pray for more workers. We see this in verse 2, where he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are to pray that people would rise up and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray that God would ignite a passion in his people to make more and better disciples, that is, followers of Jesus. Instead of praying for an easier job, Jesus says they are to pray for more workers to join them. And we today need to pray that same prayer. Notice that it's the workers, not spectators, who pray for more workers. I'm afraid too many of us are praying for somebody else to do a job we are unwilling to do ourselves. So God determines the ends, but he also determines the means. He will send out workers to tell people about Jesus, but he will do it in response to the prayers of those workers. Would you commit to pray that God would send out more workers to make Jesus known? So because God wants to change people's lives, we are to pray for more workers. But that's not all. We also see, and this is the second part of our role in Jesus' mission, we do the work. Verse 3 says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. They were to go tell people about Jesus. So if we do what Jesus told them to do, 
then we will go and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been sent. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21, when he says that we're ambassadors for Jesus, representing him to the world. So Jesus tells these followers to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Then he sends those very workers out. What this means is that we are the workers and we are the answer to our own prayers. But what is this going to mean for you and me? Think about it with me. At some time and in some way, someone inconvenienced themselves in order to help introduce you to Jesus and, and have, even, have even made it a priority to help you grow in your relationship with him. They may have given their time, money, a day off, their comfort, convenience, plans, or, or laid down their preferences in order to help bring you to Jesus. In some cases, they sacrificed all those things. And for what? For this, to watch God change your life. They believed time had not expired on what Jesus commanded them to do. They believed that they should do the same thing these followers did. They believed they had a role to play in God changing your life. And we're so grateful that's what God is still doing at Bridgewater. He's changing lives and he's using you to do it. The evidence of what God has done in, through, and among us is all over the place. We are so grateful for all God has done, but we're begging him not to stop. And how has all this happened? How did, how did we get there? Why has Bridgewater not closed and faded into memory? What happened was when there was work to be done, ministries to serve in, and people to engage, you didn't look around for who God would use. You looked in the mirror. You stepped up. You sacrificed. You answered the call. You understood that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus multiplies through the sacrifices and efforts of God's people, energized by the power and presence of God among his people. So many of you have done your part, and we are urging you to keep it up. The work is not finished. Jesus' command to tell people about him is not temporary for us. God is still changing lives and we want to be involved in that. But what that will mean is we will always stay one or two steps ahead of comfort. Our faith that God is still changing lives means we've got to obey Jesus' command to tell people about him. And as we watch him change lives, our faith grows. And this prepares us for greater and more costly levels of obedience. You see, great faith always results in great obedience. And I wonder what God wants to do next through the people of great faith and obedience who make up Bridgewater Church. It's fun to dream about it, but we will obey and we will do our part and let God determine what he does through us. So let me urge you, once again, to pray for more workers and, and to do the work. Why? Why would we do that? Because God wants to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His zeal has not faded and his commands have not expired. Let's together resolve to obey so that we can continue being a part of God changing people's lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in 1907, a dynamic industrialist 
named Henry Ford stood before all of his employees and said, we are going to make automobiles affordable for all Americans. And they all laughed. And then about 15 years later, they rolled out millions of Ford Model Ts that were built and sold for $290. I'd take three or four of those. And then in the late 1800s, the Wright brothers got up and they said, you know what, we believe one day people are going to fly. One day people are going to soar through the air. And 10 years later, a plane lifted off the sandy beaches of North Carolina. On a more personal note, in 2005, Pastor Bob Catalisa came to Bridgewater Church, and at that time, there were only 168 people attending. And Pastor Bob and the leaders of Bridgewater had a vision for what could be, and they had a desire to go and reach the community. And they began to take intentional steps and eventually that service of 168 people grew to where they needed to add a second service. And then in 2007, they added a third service. And then in 2011, they were overflowing and they said, we need to go plant a campus. And that's when they went and they planted a campus in Halstead in 2014 with 50 people. Halstead began to grow that first year. Over two dozen people came to know Christ. And as that campus began to grow, they decided with 75 people, they would plant a campus here in Conklin, in what you are now sitting in, which used to be a hardware store. And so what do all these leaders have in common? Ford, the Wright brothers, these leaders... They all had a vision for what could be. So the question is, what is next for Bridgewater? What is next for Bridgewater Conklin? Well, I want to remind you, this is our mission. Our mission here at Bridgewater is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. So the question is, how are we doing with that? How are you doing with living on mission? How am I doing with living on mission? Well, Josh talked about, hey, so far this year, 44 people have placed their faith in Christ and 42 people have gone public with baptism. And in Conklin, nine people have placed their faith in Christ and seven people have gotten baptized. And we have more getting baptized next week. That's awesome. That, that's reason to celebrate, guys. I love being a part of a church that desires to go after the Great Commission. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we came. Because so many churches talk about they, they love lost people or they want to reach their community, but they are rarely doing it. This week, I had people contact me that I didn't even know, that don't even come to our churches, but they, they saw you serving wearing your orange shirts, and they were blown away by it. And some of you contacted me, yeah. That's you guys going and being the church. This is a church where people love to serve and go reach lost people. We are about more and better disciples. It's not an either or, but it's a both and. Because better disciples 
will become passionate or they will be passionate about reaching people who are far from God. So how are we doing? Well, every year we take a church survey and 54% of our campus said we regularly invite people to church. That's awesome. Over half of you are saying, okay, I am excited. I, I am fixed on someone who is far from God and I am praying for them and I'm investing in them and I'm inviting them into spiritual conversations and I'm inviting them to events like open house. I'm inviting them to Easter and Christmas. That's incredible. 38% of you are in a small group and 52% of you are serving. That's, those are things to celebrate because here's the reality. So many churches that I've seen, that I've been a part of, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And here in Bridgewater Conklin, we have 52% of you serving. But what if, but what if that 54% who was inviting grew into 75% or grew into 100% and we all became passionate about somebody who is far from God that we could be praying for, that we could be investing in, that we could begin having spiritual conversations, that we could say, hey, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but man, God is doing something incredible at my church. You need to come check it out. Or hey, can I get coffee with you? Or hey, can I, can I buy you lunch? Can I take you out for breakfast? I just want to talk to you and share some things that are going on in my life and share about what God is doing. Like Josh said, we are, are serving a God who wants to reach people for the gospel. He said we need to pray for more workers, but he also said we are the more workers. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, here's what I believe is true. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You are the hands and feet because you are working in places that I can never go. I can never have the relationships that you have in your jobs, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, with the community of people, but there you are. God has you in those workplaces, in those communities. I can't be all those places, but he has you there. And he wants to use you to be light, to be salt. I've intentionally decided that when I moved here, I would, I would join a gym. I'm going to Johnson City. I'm going to a, a CrossFit gym. And I have ways of working out at home. I'll tell you, it is cheaper. It's more efficient. It's more effective. I can sleep in. I don't have to drive as far to work out at my house. But I work in an office filled with Christians. And so I have intentionally put myself in a place where I'm surrounded by people who don't think like me, who don't believe like me, who are far from God so that I can have intentional conversations, so that I can begin mixing in with those people and maybe have an opportunity to have spiritual conversations. And so my challenge, my vision for our campus is what if we had this white-hot passion for reaching our community? What would happen? Josh read a passage from Luke, and I'll read it again, but Luke chapter 10, this is the passage that he read. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them 
two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. It's huge. It's massive. It's so full. But the workers were lacking. They're few. And so ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. They were to go and tell people about Jesus. They were the workers. There's a harvest out there in Broome County. And God is sending you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been sent. I've been sent. I have a mission field to go to. It might be your neighborhood. It might be your own family. It might be where you work. It might be your school. It might be the grocery store. It might be the diner you go to. But you have a mission field. If we began to actively see our community as our mission field, and we begin to actively pray for lost people and invest in them and have spiritual conversations with them and invite them into a spiritual conversation or invite them into a relationship with Jesus or invite them to church, we would be maxed out. We would have standing room only in this building. We'd have baptisms every single weekend. That's possible. God could do anything. But here's what I want you to know. For me, it's not about attendance. It's not about more services. You're going to hear me talk about numbers. It's not about numbers at all. Here's what's true. Numbers represent souls. Numbers represent people. And people matter to God. Because somebody inconvenienced themselves to talk to me about Jesus. And that was a seventh grader who literally walked across the street and started talking to me about who Jesus was. And he began sharing what he believed. All of seventh grade, all of eighth grade, and finally at the end of ninth grade, something clicked. I was like, whoa, I need God. If a seventh grader can do that, can we do that? Can we walk across the street? Can we walk down the hallway? Can we talk to someone if a seventh grader has the courage and boldness to share who Jesus is? So can we. So here's a question. Who do you want sitting next to you in church this time next year? Who is it that's in your life that is far from God that you would love to have sitting next to you? Who's that one person? Imagine if, if the 38% who are now involved in a small group began to grow, and that grew to 50 and 60%, imagine what would happen in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our kids' lives, if we began to surround ourselves with other followers of Jesus and said, I need you to come alongside me. Because in small groups, that's where you're going to find the care and the accountability, and, and God uses that. That's his model of discipleship. It's, it's big groups like this, but it's also small groups. Imagine what would happen 
If we begin to really do that, that's where the care happens. That's where the community happens. That's where accountability happens. My wife and I, we love to watch a show called Alone. Anyone ever seen Alone? Yes. I love the show. I think my wife, Shana, tolerates it. If you've never watched it, they take 10 individuals and they allow them to pick 10 survival items. So they can bring a tent, or no, no tent, they can bring a tarp, a sleeping bag, a fire stick, they can bring a knife, hatchets, um, fishing line, hooks, bows, no guns, no lighters. They have a, a huge list and they can take 10 items and then they send them out into the wilderness. And the idea is whoever survives the longest wins half a million dollars. That's crazy. So Shana and I, we love sitting there eating our Rocky Road ice cream, watching these people hunt squirrels and chipmunks and things of that nature. And we enjoy kind of watching them struggle a little bit. But here's the thing. At any moment, if they want to go home, they can pick up their satellite phone, push a button, and tap out and go back. I think the longest someone has stayed out there is like 87 days. And besides the people who go home for medical reasons, almost everybody who goes home goes home for really one reason. They quit. But why do they quit? They are lonely. They realize that half a million dollars isn't worth it because everything that they need, everything that they want, they already have it back home. They miss their family, they miss their spouse, they miss their kids, they miss their community. And they want to go back to their community, and so they tap out. Community is something that you and I were designed for. We weren't created to live alone. I know some of you, you don't really want a whole lot of people in your lives. You don't want people in your business, and you're like, Tim, send me out there by myself, I would be happy. I don't think you would. You might need less people. You might desire less people involved in your lives than others. But the reality is God has designed us. He's created us. It's, it's coded into your, your DNA to be in community. But not only that, there are people who are far from God that need you to break into their lives I mean, think about it. When you go to the grocery store, why is it that you choose to go to the self-checkout line? Tim, it's a whole lot faster, and I don't have to talk to anybody. Yeah, but what if we inconvenienced ourselves, and we went to a line with an actual person that we could actually have an impact on and ask them, how's your day? What's going on? How are you doing? What if we inconvenienced ourselves and we went to the same grocery store and the same line with the same cashier over and over and over again? Or the same cafe or the same coffee shop or the same diner and we sat in the same area so we saw the same waitress over and over and over again and we intentionally reached into those people's lives. God wants us to inconvenience ourselves for people who are far from God. 52% of people are serving, but what if that percentage grew to 80 or 90%? What would happen in our community? What would happen in our community if the reputation of Bridgewater and Conklin was, man, if there's something going on in your life, call Bridgewater. You need help with something, 
called Bridgewater? What if the reputation was when there was a crisis, we showed up and people weren't surprised, but they expected it because that's just what we do. It happens all the time. What if that was our reputation? My vision, my prayer, my desire for our church, for our campus, is that Broome County would be the hardest place to get to hell from because of the work that God is doing in and through this church. That people would have the hardest time getting to hell because you are going out into the harvest every single day praying for lost people, investing in lost people, talking to lost people, and that we are this bright light in Broome County. In the book of Acts, we have the birth of the church. I just want to read a few verses out of Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he what? He reasoned with them. Paul intentionally went into the synagogue to find people, to talk to people who didn't believe in Jesus, and he reasoned with them. With what? With the scriptures. And then it says, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. And some of them were persuaded. They're persuaded. So, so Paul comes into the synagogue talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. And he begins to use the Bible to persuade them that Jesus really is the Messiah. He persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. They did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. Verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Did you catch that last phrase? These men. They have turned the world upside down. That's the reputation according to someone who is an enemy of the church. They go, you know what's happening in the church? That church is coming and they're turning the whole world upside down for the gospel. Imagine if that was our reputation. That people in Broome County people in Conklin, people in New York that said, you know what's going on over there? That church, that Bridgewater, they're going into the community and they're turning it all upside down for the gospel. And people's lives are being radically transformed. What would happen in our community? What would happen to the marriages? What would happen to the kids in our schools? What would happen if we went into the harvest and we decided I'm going to turn the world upside down for Christ. 
there would be standing room only. I asked some of our champions, I said, okay, if God could do anything in and through this campus, what would that be? Here's a few of them. They said, you know what, when there was a crisis in our community, the first place people would come to, the first place they would think of is Bridgewater. If God could do anything, we wouldn't struggle to find more people to serve. If God could do anything, we would see more people come to Christ, grow in Christ, and walk in Christ. If God could do anything, people would be convicted, and they would consistently serve more, both in our campus and in our community. So I have two questions for you. Who's that one person that you want to see sitting next to you this time next year? A while back, we handed out these cards, and they say, pray, invest, invite. Today, as you leave, we have a couple stacks back there in the welcome desk right underneath that TV. I want you to grab one of those if you don't have one of these. And I want you to write a name down. I'm going to give you a pro tip. Don't write it down in pen, because the pen on this glossy, shiny part will just frustrate you. Just get a Sharpie, make it permanent, and it will write so much better. But write down one person's name who is far from God, and then put this somewhere that you will see it all the time. By your mirror, in your dashboard, tape it to your computer, wherever it is that you're going to see it all the time, and begin praying for one person who you could have conversations with. That one person that you can intentionally invest in, they are far from God. Then maybe you can invite them into a conversation or you can invite them out for breakfast or you can invite them over for coffee or maybe you can invite them to something that's going on here. But imagine if all of us began to do that. And let me tell you, here, here's the real truth. You and I, we can't change anyone's life. That's the good news. <laughs> the better news is God is the one who transforms lives. You and I just plant seeds, and we water, and we pray for people, and we are just the messengers. We are just the workers. We're just going into the harvest. So the first question is, who's the one person that you would love to see sitting here with you? Number two, what part do you play in this? What's your part? We need to pray for more workers, and we need to go and reach people. I'm excited about what God could do in and through our campus. I want to see our campus begin to reach young families. And so this fall, we're going to start rolling out. We're going to relaunch something called Voyager. It's a kids' ministry. It's going to meet on Wednesday nights. And I'm hoping that it will have a profound impact in our young families, in our kids, in our community. That, that little kids can come here, hear about what God is doing, and they can be engaged and looked after and cared for by loving adults, other leaders. And then guess what? If you have young kids and you want to go to a small group on Wednesday night, you should bring them here. And then go to a small group. Boom. Just solved your small group problem. I'm going to pray in a moment, and then I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. They're going to sing one last song, and after they sing, we're going to take communion. Let me pray with you. Father, you are incredible. You tell us to go 
out into the harvest. You tell us that we are the workers that you have sent us. And God, I know that um, that's scary for a lot of us to think about what that might be, what that might look like, what that might include. And so I ask that you would give us the courage and the boldness to do just that. Pray that as we sing this last song, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would begin to shape what this vision is to live fully devoted to you, what that looks like for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.